Good afternoon. It's Friday the 13th of August 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, and uh, well, we're getting uh, straight on with uh, the pretty tragic news from Plymouth yesterday, Patrick, uh, the shooting that took place. That's right. Uh, we were actually uh, on site last night at the uh, at the scene. And uh, so this is the these are the latest details. Uh, that have been more or less officially uh, confirmed here regarding uh, the incident. Uh, six fatalities in total, including uh, the shooter. Uh, victims include two males and three females, including Mike, uh, one, I believe, five-year-old girl. This is a recent report that just came on the wire before we went to air. Please confirm it began as a domestic incident, so it's not terror-related or anything like that. It's residential stroke uh, domestic. Uh, the weapon was a shotgun rifle, uh, and the assailant uh, shot himself, was found dead uh, at the scene after he had left uh, the property. Uh, and they go on, this is the worst mass shooting uh, in the UK uh, for over a decade. Uh, and we'll just go back a decade here. This is 2010, Lake District shooting. 12 people uh, died uh, in that rampage. This was apparently a cab driver, 52, eventually again turns the weapon uh, on himself uh, as well. But just to go back uh, to the shooting, now they do have a name for the suspect. Uh, here is his picture right here. This is all over the media at the moment. Name is Jake Davison, 23-year-old uh, local resident, worked as a crane engineer stroke operator for defense and nuclear services contractor, Babcock International. That is uh, in Plymouth uh, itself, Mike. So that's what we know so far. And so the, what's interesting, Mike, is that those are the sort of the basic facts that have been released uh, on this shooting, but the media have gone really and spun this into a whole nother story. Yes. Uh, so we look at the Daily Mail here, uh, and this isn't just the mail, by the way, these sort of reports you can see elsewhere. So Plymouth gunman, 23-year-old virgin, posted rambling YouTube videos complaining he was too fat and ugly to have sex and boasted about being the Terminator before... Uh, killing five and then shooting himself, etc. Here, so the, the 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 rhetoric in this article is quite interesting. Mike uh, Jake Davison, twenty three, a bodybuilder obsessed with not being attractive to women, named locally as a killer. So they're really kind of going for this angle here that he is part of this incel movement, whose uh, mis misogynist members have carried out mass uh, murder in the U.S. So kind of framing this like it's a some sort of defined organization or movement, and it's not actually. This is sort of a, uh, a social media uh, characterization that you could sort of label uh, young men who are kind of, uh, you know, involuntary celibate is the, is, is the long form for incel. Um, there definitely does seem to be some real effort to link this back to the United States. We're going to come on to that in a second, but certainly you noticed this morning that for a short period of time, Sky News had suggested that he was that he had uh, come from Arizona mm -hmm. and was living in Plymouth. Uh, in fact, that turned out to be that he had put his uh, location as Arizona, as Phoenix, Arizona, on his Facebook page, uh, presumably because he didn't want to put real data on there. But nonetheless, that, that, that was what Sky News carried for a little while. And we'll come on to a bit more about this later on. There's a definite attempt to try to link this back to the United States in some way. Yeah, and here's the story, uh, the story they're sort of associating with here. This is uh, the Santa Barbara shooting in 2014. This is Elliot Roger, 
uh, here, how misogynist killer became incel hero. So, you know, a, a lot of this, what they're calling uh, the, these sort of online movements, a lot of this is generated by the mainstream media. They analyze, you have these people like uh, BBC Trending and mm -hmm. these different new types of journalists that analyze trends and memes online, and they sort of define and, and, and bring sort of some kind of uh, shape uh, to what they call movements. But really, a lot of it is just kind of things that are darting around constantly, various subcultures on Reddit and uh, online here. Now, YouTube has basically uh, taken his channel down. He had a channel called Professor Waffle, uh, where he would rant and, and so forth. So they took it down. This account has been terminated for violation of community guidelines. So there wasn't a violation before, and there wasn't a, a sort of declaration that he was going to go on a mass shooting, but YouTube has basically taken it down. So you can't really analyze any of this. However, the mainstream media have taken a lot of the videos down very quickly and have then put out various clips. Mm. Now, if this is about psychologically profiling, which is kind of important, right, right, for a case like this, you can't know anything now because they've erased it. Uh, so this is all in the hands of the authority. So uh, again, that's, that's a whole other area uh, of debate itself uh, here. But let's just go back uh, to uh, look at this, Mike. So th this is how, look at this. So Professor Waffle, uh, the that life is rigged against you as part of his rants and that uh, we're on the brink of extinction uh, of being repulsed uh, to the opposite sex. So this is a, more of this kind of incel crisis stuff. Now, I thought this comment was interesting. This is MP Luke Pollard, Mike. So he called the incident utterly devastating, which of course everyone can agree it is. Uh, but then said it's probably the darkest day in Plymouth's history since the end of the Second World War, when the Nazi Luftwaffe carpet-bombed the city and its world-famous docks. Now, that last bit was, the, I believe, the Daily Mail, adding uh, a little bit extra. But in yellow, that's what Pollard said. So he's comparing this domestic uh, incident, this shooting, to the, uh, you know, essentially to World War II mm. and the Blitz. Um, I think it, it, I, we see this so often, Mike, that politicians rush to make quotes to the media and they want to seem really kind of um, uh, virtuous and concerned. And sometimes they really over-dramatize uh, the point they're trying to make. I think, is, is that, is that no, a fair? No, I think that's a fair comment. Is that a fair? It's more than a fair comment. But yes. I mean, we're being kind. But um, so, so a lot of the media coverage, I'll say the last thing, Mike, um, a lot of the media coverage focused for the most part last night on politicians' reaction to the event. Yes. And very little because there was almost no information that was being released until much, much later, maybe early this morning uh, by law enforcement, by the authorities. So really the, uh, the media is flying blind, not asking too many questions. But we've, uh, we, we've got some other angles to explore in this, don't we? Well, well, first of all, let's just go back to the United States thing. This is uh, Newsweek and, and more from... Uh, the mainstream press, Plymouth should reject Davidson's social media shows love for Trump and guns. Uh, so that, again, uh, attempting to tie this individual with some kind of movement, whether a real movement or not. Radicalized online by Trump and so forth, right? Yes. Uh, now, it's uh, some of the press um, suggesting that uh, uh, Jake Davison had a uh, firearm or a shotgun certificate. Um, just wanted to make the point briefly about what's required in order to get a, a shotgun certificate. First of all, you've got to uh, uh, you've got to have a referee who is prepared to to vouch for you before you can uh, get one. Uh, it's not a terribly onerous process to get one, but nonetheless, you do have to have a referee, and that referee is supposed to 
make clear that you are uh, a suitable person to have a shotgun, license, uh, shotgun certificate. Sorry. Um, now, we have uh, been told, and thank you very much to the person who passed this along to us, uh, from a, a local resident um, that uh, at one point his shotgun certificate had been revoked. Uh, that might happen because the police have to, because it's down to the uh, local police to decide uh, finally who is entitled to get one of these. Um, and so his shotgun certificate may have been revoked because they felt that he was not suitable uh, for whatever reason. And certainly the mainstream press suggesting that he was disturbed uh, in some way. And some of the commentary that we saw uh, on this suggested that perhaps he was slightly, but uh, not the worst case I've ever seen. But nonetheless, the, uh, the uh, information we have is that the shotgun certificate was re revoked at one point and then was returned to him. Uh, now, we've seen this before, uh, and that is with uh, Thomas Hamilton, of course, uh, at Dunblane. Um, and the Dunblane massacre was the uh, event which caused uh, the, the most significant restrictions on firearm ownership and firearm handling in the UK. Um, and, uh, well, if you want to know more about the background to Thomas Hamilton and who he, his connections were, uh, have a look at this article on the UK Column website, The Dunblane Massacre, Crown Office Obstruction and Disinformation. Uh, but he had also had his uh, firearms license uh, certificates uh, re revoked at one point uh, and only had those returned to him after the intervention of Lord Robertson, actually. Um, and so... Uh, so Lord Robertson vouched for him to so he could get his yes, uh, firearms. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not by any means suggesting that, that there's something conspiratorial going on here. I'm just saying that, you know, in the circumstance that, that a, a firearms certificate has been removed, um, there clearly has to be some care dis, uh, given about whether it is then returned if, if, the, if the police have concerns about somebody. Uh, and I think if there's an area of investigation to be looked at in the, in the coming days and months, it needs to be, uh, if, if, if the information we have is correct, it needs to be uh, ascertained why that was returned to him mm -hmm. and why he was allowed to continue to own uh, the, uh, the shotguns. So anyway, uh, well, look. Uh, do, and do you think, the last thing I'm going to ask you, Mike, is, um, you know, uh, in, in the wake of the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania and also the Christchurch shooting uh, in New Zealand just a couple of years ago, then became a big push by the government and the media to basically ban firearms or sort of, you know, close off the loopholes for making it uh, more difficult for people to uh, own guns. Uh, it, what was left of the available firearms that you could have, uh, those loopholes were very much closed off after those events. Do you think the same thing will happen in the UK if an inquiry is held uh, regarding this event? Uh, I, th I think that's a, a distinct possibility, yes. And perhaps uh, we see further restrictions on, on firearms ownership in the UK. Uh, but we've got to ask, you know, have a, a wait for the results of whatever investigation there is. And I think uh, before that step was taken, we would have to understand um, what the circumstances around about around his uh, certificate issuance. Yes. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, let's move on. Tragic uh, as, it, as that was. Uh, and let's move on to, uh, to this. This is Sajid Javid, the health secretary. Um, and uh, well, good news, uh, apparently, because apparently if you're double vaccinated, from the 16th of August, uh, Patrick, you will no longer be required to self-isolate if you come into contact uh, with someone, close contact with someone who uh, tests positive for SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so Sajid Javid here saying, asking the close contacts of people with COVID-19 to self-isolate has played a cru critical role in helping us get this virus under control. Uh, millions of people across the UK have made enormous sacrifices by doing this. So that's uh, wonderful stuff. 
Um, so this, of course, was originally announced uh, last month when they announced the situation with respect to step four of the uh, COVID-19 roadmap. Uh, and they're saying that now with 75% of people having received both doses of the vaccine, the majority of adults will no, no longer be, need to be self-isolating when they come into contact with well, people. On this statement from Javid, Mike, quickly though, uh, part of this is true and the other part is, is very debatable. What's true is that people have made enormous sacrifices to get the COVID under control. Yes. But is what's debatable here is when Javid is saying that uh, these measures played a role uh, in sort of bringing the virus under control. I mean, where is the scientific proof or evidence for that? Uh, well, this is a very good question, Patrick, and something that occurred to me was, well, surely we, we must see some different sort of behavior going on in perhaps a country that hasn't, uh, or countries that haven't had the vaccination program and so on. So there must be some uh, place on the world where we haven't seen vaccination rollout that might give us a clue as to what happens under normal circumstances mm -hmm. um, with this. Or even last summer in the UK, Mike, oh, we wanted to go there. No, we don't want to go but, there. No. You know, everything dropped to the floor and there was no vaccine. So I guess that was because of the vaccines, right? Right. Well, indeed. Must so, have been. Must yeah. have been. So, so I thought maybe we should have a look at Africa and see what's going on there. Uh, we haven't looked at Africa in quite some time. Uh, and this is uh, CNN World. Delta variant has spiked. Uh, COVID-19 deaths in Africa by 80% in one month, the World Health Organization says. Um, so what are they saying? Well, if you look at the bottom of the screen there, the text very small, but uh, I'll just read it out. It says deaths increased by 89% from 13,000 uh, to 24,000 in the last 28 days. Wow, that's a big number, Mike. 89%? Uh, it's 89%, yes. But it's uh, a big, big, big number. It certainly sounds like a big number. But 24,000 out of 1.4 billion people um, doesn't sound like such a significant number. Right? Oh, that's not so big. No, no. So I just thought we would have a look at uh, the latest. Uh, here's Worldometer here showing uh, the situation in Africa. I'm only going to show a few of the, the top, uh, what's that, the top 15 countries there. Cap uh, quick caveat, this is Worldom Worldometer, and these are ba based on PCR data. So we're just make that qualification. Well, yes, before. absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because what I'm talking about here their is numbers. The, their numbers, the official numbers, because yeah. this is their narrative that we're talking about. Correct. So so the first thing to notice is South Africa comes top of the list with uh, two and a half million cases uh, that they claim are COVID cases uh, and uh, 76,000 deaths. Um, and these are deaths that are attributed to COVID-19. Um, and what, what I'm going to say, that that's significantly higher than any other country in uh, Africa. Um, and, but when we look at the population sizes in some of these countries, they're huge. So, so South Africa is roughly, in terms of population, similar to the UK, 60 million or so. But if we look down at Ethiopia, for example, 118 million people in that country. Egypt has 100 million people. Uh, Nigeria has 211 million people. Um, Nigeria has 211 million people, but only 2,200 deaths so far. Um, and only um, what's at 180,000 cases so far. So this is without vaccines, this is without self-isolation and test and trace and 30 billion pound track and trace programs and the stuff two, like 2, this. 2,200 deaths in Nigeria? Yes. 220 okay. million people. Yes. Pretty good. Right. So, so, you know, you, so why is South Africa different? Well, of course, South Africa is probably the most westernized of, of all those countries. But for example, what you'll notice is that uh, Lesotho is not on that list of the top 15 because it's well down the list uh, despite being right in the middle of South Africa. So 
Ah. So perhaps the borders are completely closed. So anyway, I think, I think I heard what happened with Lesotho, Mike. They put up a uh, giant plastic PPE shields right. around the borders, and that kept Coroni from from getting in, basically from South Africa. That is that's the science. Okay, so so look, the bottom line here is that we're not seeing the levels of death and destruction in Africa with as with as a result of SARS-CoV-2 that was claimed. Uh, should they not get the vaccinations? And indeed, Sky News. I'm not really sure when this was produced, uh, but Sky News has this uh, page, this feature on their website, COVID in Africa, and they're asking this question about why are the deaths in Africa uh, not, uh, not as significant as we were told they would be. So let's just have a brief look at some of this. Um, so this is showing the, uh, a, a graphic which is supposed to show the relative numbers of deaths uh, in various parts of the world. So you've got North America on the left there, South America at the top, uh, Europe, uh, underneath and Af the, the, the relative size of Africa, despite the relative population size, is just massively small. Mm -hmm. So how does this work? Interesting. Uh, and so they ask there at the bottom, so why are the official deaths uh, rates in Africa so low? Uh, so let's have a look at why. So South Africa has the highest death rate in Africa, but it's still only 40% of that of the UK. Interesting. Um, so that is interesting. Uh, but here's perhaps one of the reasons. People in Niger, for example, are 25 years younger on average than those in the UK. So there's an acknowledgement here that uh, SARS-CoV-2 only attacks people that are older. Um, and in fact, when we, as we've made this point many, many times on the program, when you look at the profile of those that get ill and that die from SARS-CoV-2, it seems to replicate normal illness and mortality in the general population with general other illnesses, so, and this seems to be the case in Africa as well. Uh, but Africa's coldest country, Lesotho, is five degrees warmer than the UK. So the problem here, Patrick, is that the UK is not warm enough, uh, and that's why more people are dying in the UK, apparently, because it's warmer in Africa uh, than they're doing much better. And basically what the, the upshot of this is that really there's no explanation in this article as to why the deaths are not appearing and the excess mortality is not appearing in Africa where they do not have Western health systems and they do not have uh, vaccination programs. That's right, that's right. You know, the, the moral of the story here is, Mike, that you know, we need to get more COVID relief aid to the African people, those poor countries, so that they can have public health uh, institutions and systems like we have, so they can have lots of PCR testing, and then they too can also have a pandemic, just like we have uh, in the West, Mike, and I think that is really the uh, the message that our uh, public health authorities and experts are trying to ram home is that Africa needs a pandemic, and to do that, we need to fund all of their test and trace. We need to get them uh, all the sort of PPE kits, and and more. Most importantly, Mike, we need to get them vaccines. Yes, because Africa must need vaccines, right? Well, that's right. So so we're seeing press releases from the government like this, UK providing COVID-19 humanitarian remittance relief fund to Africa, uh, provided vital support for almost 750,000 people across eight Southern African countries impacted by COVID-19, including Madagascar. But this is just a very small uh, example of, of the type of things that they're rolling out. And no impact from COVID-19 in any of these countries right. to speak of, right? So. So you look, follow the money. So th this is what our, this is the virtue signaling. They want to get Africa on the program, basically, because Africa's not on the program. Right. And that's a problem because then they don't look like they're having a crisis, which is, we can't have that now, can we? But uh, enter the International Monetary Fund, Mike. They're always the source of uh, great financial aid packages. And 
various debt packages that'll saddle these poor countries uh, into financial ruin for generations. And they're saying the COVID-19 financial assistance and debt service relief, courtesy of the IMF, and they're looking at ways that they can get more money for rapid uh, COVID-related arrangements. Uh, borrowing countries have committed to undertake governance measures, this is a key, to promote accountable and transparent use of these resources. So in a way, this is like basically paying off governments. You give them COVID aid or, quote, COVID relief. The EU has done this, by the way, especially with the Eastern European member states of the EU. That Taking that COVID money was basically quid pro quo that they're going to go along with the narrative and the sort of the crisis, the emergency, the pandemic. But really, the people in Eastern Europe, a lot of them are just quietly scoffing and almost snickering, mm -hmm. saying, yes, thank you very much for the money, Brussels, but we're not, we're not really going to go full on with your pandemic here. And that's what's happened in Bulgaria, Romania, uh, other countries, uh, in, especially in the Balkans and Eastern Europe. And by the way, they're probably not going to go hell for leather for the old uh, unlicensed experimental uh, gene jabs either. Okay, that's not going to happen in those countries. So they're going to have to double up the effort somehow with regards to pressure, political pressure, propaganda, maybe a crisis outbreak. They can, you know, publicize some more anecdotal stories of children and orphanages yeah. in Romania or whatever. Uh, you know, the sort of the drill. So we just went to get a little bit of a uh, uh, more focus on this. And we went to uh, AMREF here. This is one of the uh, Health Africa relief NGOs. And here's the agenda right here in fine print. Uh, reopening Africa's economy, rely I didn't realize they closed. But anyway, reopening Africa's economy relies on substantial control of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, you just showed us those numbers, Mike. Do you think they've got a pandemic going? Don't see any evidence of it. In Africa? I guess not. But anyway, the Western NGOs say differently, Mike. So control of the pandemic depends on a combination of personal and collective health measures, strengthening the health systems, and achieving COVID-19 vaccination targets. Aha, now we're getting somewhere. And so they go on here. The African Center for Disease Control and Prevention, that's all they need is an African CDC, uh, sets its target at 60%. We're talking about vaccinations here. However, Africa is currently projected to reach its target in 2023. The rest of the world will reach 60 to 80% in 2022. They, they're sure of this, Mike. Uh, and the U.S., Canada, and some European countries pro projected to reach their targets even earlier, December 2021. So this is all about vaccine targets. Right. Okay. That is basically the end all be all for public health. Now mm -hmm. it's how many people you can get vaccinated. Vaccine levels equals public health. Mm -hmm. Now, is, is this really the best way of looking at this quote issue of public health? There is a lot more to public health than vaccines. And I'll tell you right now, if they spent half the money that they're throwing around on COVID relief and printing up like crazy in Western countries, and throwing at all these, their countries, our countries, ourselves, and other countries, they could have clean water for every African country, mm. without a doubt. Every single resident could have clean water in the continent for what they've blown on the pandemic, mm. uh, it just in the Western countries alone. So let's talk about public health now, shall we? Mm. But uh, let's look at the vaccine issue in Africa. And I, f I remember this report, uh, this is from 21st Century Wire. By the way, our sources on this are AP and the WHO. So the fact checkers on Facebook originally flagged this. People who saw this article know we had that controversy with Facebook with this article. And I'm going to announce, Mike, Facebook removed 
the fact-checking roadblock they stuck on this article. Mm -hmm. Okay, they had it on for six months. They recently removed it. Why? Because it's factual. WHO now admits Gates-funded vaccine is causing polio outbreak in Africa. This is a fact. Go and check their website for yourselves. We've got the links right here. But look at this. After spending $16 billion over 30 years to, quote, eradicate polio, international health bodies have accidentally, we're told, reintroduced the disease to Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, other Central Asian countries are hit by this new strain of polio spawned by a pharmaceutical vaccine. Fact. Okay. According to their own reports. So, in 2019, the government of Ethiopia ordered the destruction of 57,000 vials of type 2 oral polio vaccine following a similar outbreak of vaccine-induced polio. The WHO specifically warned of this alarming trend happening also in Pakistan. Let's look at what else. The same incident has happened in India as well. It's important to note that the oral polio vaccine is being pushed by the Global Polio Eradication Initiative, okay? A consortium which is supported and funded by... That could be Billy Goats, could it? It's not a trick question, Mike. And indeed, Billy Goats. All right. Yeah, they are. Oh, sorry. We had to take them off the screen very quickly. But um, anyway, let's go here. Uh, and by the way, this, is the, this experimental COVID-19 vaccine is being tested on the African population through Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, another organization funded by the Gates Foundation. A large round of human trials is taking place in Southern Africa, this was last year, run by the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa. And guess who funds that university? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Are we not seeing a pattern uh, developing here? So polio being driven by the vaccine rollout. This is documented. So is this a coincidence that South Africa happens to be the country with the highest uh, claimed incidence? No, it's not. And if you look on the WHO's committees and panels, you'll see some of the, their, their African representatives are all from which country? Uh, I think some of their people on their panel, they seem to be dominated by South African. Yeah. Uh, and so they're working for those universities, so they're getting their funding from all of these same sources, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're tied in with Gavi. And who is the number one funder uh, of, well, tied for first place for the WHO itself? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm. So uh, all roads lead back to this organization and its money, and it's putting that money forward. It's also subsidizing the research and development of the COVID vaccines for the, all the major pharmaceutical manufacturers, which they did during 2020 to get this project off the ground. And so do, do we, how, how much do we know about the financial interest that the Gates Foundation has in some of these pharmaceutical co uh, companies and the sort of the biotech industry in general? Mm. Uh, how, how much of their portfolio is fueled by these types of uh, uh, companies and these types of industries globally? So it, but it's not just about money, and that's only one part of it. It's about control. It's also about an agenda. There's a social engineering agenda, and there's also an ideological agenda and a Malthusian agenda, uh, UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, uh, UN 2030, uh, Malthusian population management, mm -hmm. and things like this. These are all uh, widely known and widely spoken about 
uh, priorities of this group of people. And I think people need to look very closely at who these people are and what their actual beliefs are, what their actual worldview is. And, and, and you'll see a lot of pedigree with the eugenics uh, type of rhetoric as well with some of these same elites. Yes. Uh, now, the UK government this morning uh, released a press release which showed that uh, they'd done some research, Patrick, and it was really good because uh, they discovered that uh, in schools, in fact, there had been an extremely low incidence uh, of COVID-19. That's their claim. Uh, very low incidence of COVID-19 in schools. But despite that, we're still seeing pressure on to vaccinate the 12 to 16-year-olds uh, in the UK. Um, well, who's leading the way in Europe with respect to 12 to 16-year-olds? It's France, of course. Um, so let's just uh, remind ourselves that as of uh, the beginning of this week, uh, France, uh, France's COVID pass, their health pass, is now uh, required. So let's just translate on that. Um, and what this is saying is that from August the 9th, the health pass is mandatory. Uh, it applies uh, if you're attending or going to uh, catering. Uh, establishments, bars, restaurants, uh, including on terraces, uh, with uh, catering and takeout prepared meals, uh, professional road and rail catering, uh, restaurant services, hotel bars, uh, non-commercial catering, and so on, uh, trade fairs and exhibitions, professional seminars, uh, health care uh, environments. If you're visiting somebody that's in a hospital or in a care home, you've got to have your COVID pass. Uh, long distance travel, including on TGV, domestic flights, uh, also intercity trains uh, inter, uh, and intercity coaches as well. Um, and uh, department stores and sh shopping centers of more than 20,000 square meters, uh, you're going to require a COVID pass to go to those as well. Uh, and then as of uh, the 30th of August, uh, in a few, uh, well, when is that? In Tomorrow, in fact. Uh, sorry, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, sorry. Uh, the health pass is going to be made applicable to anybody uh, who is going to work in those places as well. Uh, and it will also be compulsory for anybody aged 12 to 17 uh, as of the 30th of September. Um, now, if anybody's wondering about this, then uh, France opened up their COVID-19 vaccinations to 12 to 17-year-olds. Uh, this was published um, in June. Um, so this is when France began that process. Uh, so they're leading the way. And if anybody has any doubt that that's therefore coming to the UK, um, then I think that would be a mistake. Um, now, so there's also there's boycotts uh, by some of these businesses that we've seen reports on uh, on social media, Mike, that uh, venues are basically saying no to the government. They're, they're not going to require their customers uh, to be showing their uh, uh, pass sanitaire or their vaccine passport. Right. So th th I think the key is, is is how many people in some of these industries will get together, how much solidarity there is on this issue. Because if there's mass boycotting in France, and that's a high possibility, by the way, yes. because the movement in France against the government on this issue is growing mm -hmm. by the week. It's not shrinking. It's growing. The government knows this. But rather than back down and try to make some sort of middle ground or uh, uh, make some consolations with uh, uh, the opposition, which is the public, basically, the, yep. the government of Macron is doubling down yes. twice as hard. Now, it's, it remains to be seen whether the police uh, and members of the military, how loyal they are to the government that's basically laying waste to the French constitution, right. basically. So, and that, that cuts right to the heart of the French identity. So we are, uh, in many ways, people are looking to France, the people of France, not the government, uh, to be the leaders on this issue. And I think a lot of the people in France realize they have a global audience on this issue and that they have... Uh, 
a common cause with people all over the world. People are looking at, uh, to France really to take the lead on this, to show everybody else what can be done. Because in Germany, that's not the case. The German government's going, which we'll show you in a, in a minute, has gone basically announced that, yeah, uh, total restrictions, just like they're doing in France here. Right. So it can't be too far down the road from here as well. And the question is, are we going to take inspiration from what's going on in France in terms of the the uh, uh, the, the pushback on it? But the question is, um, are vaccine passports justifiable in the first place? Well, this is the Telegraph. This is what they're saying. This is what the government's saying. And the headline is, uh, Delta variant has wrecked hopes of herd immunity, warned scientists. Now, of course, what they're talking about with herd immunity is vaccine-derived herd immunity here. Um, they're not talking about naturally-derived herd immunity because that doesn't exist anymore, Patrick. Uh, that's been dropped by the World Health Organization. Everybody's dropped that idea. The whole idea of naturally-derived herd immunity is, is gone. But, but vaccine-derived herd immunity, isn't that an oxymoron? Because we know, and the officials have admitted, the vaccine does not provide immunity. Which is exactly the point of this article, right? So here's an extract. It says, the Delta variant has wrecked any chance of herd immunity. A panel of experts, including the head of Oxford vaccine team, said, as they called for an end to mass testing in Britain, so, so Britain can start to live with covid Scientists said it's time to accept that there's no way of stopping the virus spreading through the entire population and monitoring people with mild symptoms is no longer, longer helpful. Um, and so the point here is that uh, because the vaccines don't provide immunity, they don't provide any, uh, they don't stop you getting the whatever variant, they're, you know, they're choosing the Delta variant at the moment. We know they're going to end up with uh, 1,500 other variants in the way past. But the point here is, Patrick, the point I'm trying to make here is that if vaccines aren't doing their jobs and they're admitting that they're not, uh, setting aside any argument about whether they reduce hospitalizations or reduce symptoms or not, just the issue of spread, which is what vaccine passports is about, then where, how can they justify? Uh, the, the narrative doesn't stack up. The official narrative does not stack up here. They cannot justify the uh, mandatory vaccine passports when they're admitting that the vaccines don't provide any restriction uh, or you know they don't solve that problem i think what we're seeing now mike in broad daylight their narrative is now eating itself basically so the whole the whole thing is just uh, a complete train wreck so yeah the dog is eating his tail on this and everybody knows that if you look at social media you look at the the forums the comment threads mike everybody is laughing because they know that the narrative is completely bogus and it doesn't add up now, according to their own parameters. So it's not even getting into to, to the finer debates of the science. According to their own numbers, their own claims, their own parameters, and their own, quote, intervention measures, none of it adds up and it's totally contradictory. So where do they have any credibility left? And the answer has to be no. Well, I don't think they had any credibility from the beginning. To, to but... begin with. But the media, Mike, is generally giving the government a free pass on this. Yes. And they're just, they're going along with the gag too. And what's the result of that? Do you think that this is going to give people, the public, more trust and confidence in the mainstream media or less trust and confidence in the mainstream media? What do you think the answer to that's going to be? I think I know it's going to be less and the, the mainstream media is going to get more hysterical as and, a result. And blame uh, alternative media yes. and people on social media for spreading more misinformation and so on and so forth. Here we are. Welcome to the Soviet Union of 2021. Yes, indeed. So the question is, what what is going on with vaccines? How well, are, what kind of job are they doing? Well, the latest COVID-19 vaccine surveillance report is out. This is week 32. Um, and well, I just, 
Just want to remind everybody, because the claim from the UK government is that we've now saved 80,000 lives as a result of the uh, vaccine rollout. Almost uh, as much as the white helmets. Yeah, well, indeed. Close. And, and the question is, uh, how are they arriving at this number? And I just We've mentioned this a number of times. I want to remind everybody how they're getting to these numbers. So Public Health England and other government and academic partners monitor the impact of the vaccination program on levels of COVID-19 antibodies in the population and different disease indicators, including hospitalizations and mortality. This is done through population-based testing and through modeling, which combines vaccine coverage rates in different populations, estimates of vaccine effectiveness and disease surveillance indicators. So it's we're talking about models and we're talking about estimates. This is the theme through this entire document. That's and the science. That is the science. So let's look at the direct impact on hospitalizations. The number of hospitalizations averted by vaccination can be estimated by considering vaccine effectiveness, which is not another estimate. Coming from pharma itself. Yes, uh, uh, against hospitalization, vaccine coverage, and observed hospitalizations through modeling and a using a range of parameters. But of course, those parameters are completely arbitrary. They're kind of guesses. There's nothing scientific there, about this. There is nothing scientific about this. Direct and indirect impact on infection and mortality. Public Health England and Cambridge real-time model has been model has been used to track COVID-19 infection throughout the pandemic, uh, providing key ep epidemic insights, including estimation of reproduction number uh, to the scientific pandemic, so SAGE, uh, SPY-B, and uh, sorry, SPY-M and SAGE, uh, effectively. So look, this is the basis on which uh, all these claims are being made. There is no actual basis for them whatsoever. It is a, a guess based on another guess, based on a model of a guess. Which is what? It's a virtual world that they, they, they're creating here. Computer modeling, computer estimations, or that's, that's SimCity basically. I got a great idea. Why don't we create, give them part of Australia and everybody who wants to go live in a virtual computer modeled world led by Neil Ferguson and, and these sort of people, you can go live in some corner of the world, give them uh, the, the part of uh, abandoned barren part of Australia or something like that. And you can all go there and live in a virtual world and model yourself to your heart's content, okay? And just keep modeling crisis after crisis. Sit there locked in your room playing Netflix, computer games, and uh, whatever you're doing at home there. So get your, all your stuff delivered from Deliveroo and just, just model yourself. Model yourself. I think that's the way to go. Let's just have a parallel society for people who want to live in a virtual world uh, of, of virtual pandemics and things like that. I think this is a great... Well, this, this is their plan, I think. Let's, crowd, anyway. let's crowdfund it. What do you think? Okay, we'll let's start that, that. Yeah. We'll start that after, the, after the summer break. Now, just uh, before we move on to another topic, I just want to come back to the uh, French government's uh, past sanitaire. Um, and of course, this document has been doing the rounds uh, on social media and so on, people getting very excited about it and why. Uh, well, because if we look down at the bottom left here, let's just blow that up a little bit. Uh, we find that uh, this pop uh, document was apparently uh, published in January 2020, which is before the first case of COVID-19, the first claimed case of COVID-19 in France. And so many people are asking, well, how could that possibly be? And some people are suggesting that this thing is therefore planned, pre-planned and so on. Now, uh, the answer to this that is coming from the French government is that this is a typographical error that they used a uh, they used Adobe InDesign to typeset the the graphic or typeset the page and they used a template for that which was originally created in January 2020 
uh, and that they simply made a mistake. Uh, and well, a faux pas. A, a, a faux pas, yeah. And certainly if you look at the details of the, of the document, the PDF document, it says that the creation date was the 9th of July 2021. But of course, that's the creation date of the PDF document, which is derived from the InDesign document. It shows quite clearly there that it came from Adobe InDesign. It was exported from Adobe InDesign as a PDF. Um, but that doesn't give us any clue about what date the InDesign document uh, was created. Uh, so we can't say either way whether this is a typographical error or not. We can't make any claims either way. What we can't say is that there's no definitive proof that it was a typographical error other than a statement from the French government. So um, I leave people to make up their own minds on that one. Sure, and, and even and here's the point. There's a lot of these memes that floating around. There's like a new one each week that goes around like, like wildfire across the internet. We get them all the time. And so even if it's true, or even if you can prove somehow, which you can't, but even if you could prove that the, this was uh, done ahead of time and scripted ahead of time, even then, what good is it really going to do you today? We're already sort of a year and a half into this debacle. So we've got uh, clear and present dangers and we've got plenty of evidence of pre-planning aside from uh, from this, look at event 201 and things like this. So uh, we already know that there is an advanced agenda uh, regarding a global pandemic. So that's beyond debate. Uh, so, you know, why get hung up on this? There's other things that people need to be focused on, like like vaccine passports, for instance. Yes. So we're just throwing that out there. Um, okay. And uh, just uh, a brief update from the European Medicines Agency, because they have released their latest safety updates for the various uh, vaccines. This particular one on screen is for BioNTech. Uh, but uh, they are saying that uh, they have now discovered, or they're looking seriously at a number of new uh, adverse reactions as opposed to blood clots. So um, they're talking about uh, uh, erythema multiform, a, a form of allergic skin reaction. There's uh, a kidney inflammation uh, and also a renal disorder uh, that they're particularly looking at. Uh, we're not seeing similar types of announcements from the uh, MHRA in the UK. Uh, and many people may be wondering why that is. And maybe the MHR need, MHRA needs to be contacted to find out uh, why there seems to be this disparity in approach between the various regulatory agencies. Uh, the European one uh, deserves plenty of criticism, but it certainly seems to be doing more in this area than, than, uh, than in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that and see see where it goes. They're still and, and, claiming it's small numbers involved, but nonetheless, they 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 are clearly doing some kind of follow up on the on the the reports that they're getting. Not only that, Mike, I'm going to also we're going to give a, a shout out to doctors for COVID ethics because they have been lobbying the uh, European Medicines Agency very hard uh, for quite a long time. They've drafted a couple of uh, incredible letters and also the scientific papers that have been presented to the agency. Mm -hmm. And there is now plenty of evidence that uh, there is definitely uh, a serious issue uh, with regards to vaccine side effects and uh, platelets, blood clots issues and things like that. So Doctors for COVID Ethics has really worked and focused really hard on that issue. Uh, absolutely, absolutely they have. Okay, if you like what the UK Column does and you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options for you to join us there and you'd be very welcome, uh, be very much appreciated uh, and also share material on the various platforms that we're still on including brand YouTube, Rumble, uh, BitChute and Odyssey. 
Um, and where does that take us, Patrick? It takes us to the Edinburgh Festival. Well, the Edinburgh Festival, this is a big event, obviously, the, uh, the, the, the play, uh, the Fringe Festival as well. Here's a show, Mike, that I think is uh, it's, it's actually making a lot of waves. This is called Killing Granny. This is by the comedian and actor uh, Phil Zimmerman, and this is playing up at the Fringe this week. It just started on the 11th. I think the last show is on the 19th. This is at the Hanover Tap, okay? Now, I've, we've spoken to the, uh, the, uh, the, the playwright himself. He said that some of the shows are already sold out. So they had, to, they had a, a limit because of, quote, social distancing, which is baked into the show, these, these sort of narratives. But uh, they've expanded the uh, capacity. So there are tickets available. So if you're in the Edinburgh area or you want to see an amazing show or go to one of these uh, events and you want to pick a good one, we think this is going to be like really good. This is a comedy show uh, about the pandemic, about COVID. You put, put, put it back up on, on screen there. And, uh, and so it's pay what you want. So, I mean, the tickets are really affordable. We're talking about a couple of quid, some people paying more if they like it. So that's all within the spirit of the Edinburgh Festival. Killing Granny, Phil Zimmerman's uh, show, one-man show at the festival. We, we highly recommend it. Okay. And uh, a reminder that this is the last uh, UK column news before the summer break. Uh, the UK column office is going to be closed from Monday the 16th until the 30th of August. Uh, and the news program will also take a break during that time. We will return on Wednesday the 1st of September. So a massive thank you to everybody that's uh, been with us the past uh, uh, since the last summer break we took. And uh, thank you very much for all your support. It's been fantastic. Is that the English Riviera? That, that um, Torquay. Tor is that Torquay in the background, the beautiful palm trees? Uh, absolutely. Must be. Looking good. Yes. Uh, so where does that take us? Well, it takes us to a campaign that we're seeing uh, on social media right now. Uh, this is Professor Piers Robinson. He's been on this program many times. A lot of people are very familiar with his work. Now, C.J. Hopkins is one of the first people that we saw do this. Basically, after the uh, restrictions that have been announced in Germany, those who are unvaccinated will be barred from all of the following. And Piers Robinson explains, My name is Piers Robinson. I live in Germany. I am banned from restaurants, traveling by plane, train, attending religious ceremonies, schools, cultural events, and otherwise participating in society because I refuse to convert to the new official ideology, hashtag new normal. And what Piers is saying here is that he is basically part of a underclass that has now been declared uh, by government by the use of this sort of authoritarian, fascist, uh, uh, dare I say, Nazi-like policy, okay, and it is Germany, by the way, but Germany's not the only country doing it. And I don't think we should be squeamish by using the word Nazi because didn't they have dissimilar restrictions Indeed. administratively during, during the period, uh, during the Hitler uh, Nazi regime? So listen, facts are facts. So we can't shy away from history. This has happened before in the past. This is happening now. How bad can it get? Man, if you're going to ask yourself that question, uh, what, what do you think that you would have said to yourself uh, two years ago? It, anything that's happening right now, you, what have you, what have you believed what's happened? None of you would have believed it. So don't think that you don't know what's going to be happening in a year or two years from now. So what we're saying is wake up people. Mm. Okay. Okay. And, uh, well, that takes us, uh, to the telegraph and, uh, schools scheduling children's COVID vaccinates, vaccinations before approval is given. Well, this is uh, one of the things that a lot of parents and a lot of uh, advocates for uh, general human rights uh, and constitutional freedoms had feared 
uh, is that the, uh, the, the schools will be uh, attempting to kind of do a runaround here. Uh, and so listen to this. So this is what the, the nub of it is. Parents have said they were shocked to receive letters from the children's schools informing them of a COVID vaccine schedule for the return autumn for their children grade or aged 12 to 15. So again, this all of this is just being done completely uh, outside of the scope of, of the citizenry, Mike. It seems to be all happening in the bureaucracy and then the bureaucracy and the government's just been basically saying that's what's required. Uh, you don't have any rights. You don't have any choice in the matter. You must comply, otherwise you don't get access. I mean, isn't this incredible? It is. Uh, now, sticking with schools, of course, uh, GCSE results day was yesterday and well done to everybody that uh, that got good results, but uh, record number of straight nines, as Labour says, poor children abandoned by the government. But again, we're seeing this grid inflation uh, with GCSEs. Um, now, as far as I can see, just speaking purely about Plymouth schools, um, I see that some schools are sort of conforming with the spirit of the thing and others weren't. So the, the issue that I have with what's happened in the last two years, Patrick, is that we no longer have uh, a national examination uh, regime in the country. Uh, it's up to every school to provide grades and evidence for those grades to the, uh, to the government. But schools, of course, uh, have a natural desire to see better results and the ability to generate better results. So what we've seen in the last two years at schools that in the previous 20 years were not uh, creating people with uh, large numbers of high results are suddenly doing that, and it's getting past the current uh, the current regime. And this in the is, last year, in the last well, because this is the second year second of this year. type of exam yeah. regime. So, um, so this is so, very this is very hard for 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 uh, children that have got good results, or maybe did, have got actually worse results than than other children from a school down the road. Mm -hmm. um, but, because the, the schools are not conform, they're not following some kind of national standard here. It's now moving towards, um, not, uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the way it works when you graduate from school in the United States? The, at, at secondary school level, you're, you're, it's no, there's no national examination process. You graduate from your school, and depending on how well your school is per perceived in the community, that is how you're perceived when it comes to getting jobs and so on, is that, is yeah, that how it works? Yeah, well, America, we have this uh, standardized uh, university entrance exams like the SAT and the ACT, and, and that's used as a general barometer for right. entrance into higher education. But they do have league tables, and they do have ways within counties, uh, school districts, states, and nationally to rate the performance of schools, but it's nothing near like the sort of religious league table system that you have uh, in Britain, but what it seems like is, Mike, they basically have wiped away all sort of expectations in terms of performance and lowered the bar so low uh, for the majority of students. Why? Because of COVID? Oh, or to, yes. to keep people from being a, uh, unhappy or depressed because their grades were so poor because they couldn't get the education? I think the government and the teachers' unions and the schools have used this as a, used COVID as a scapegoat because they've totally abrogated their responsibilities to provide in-person education. Instead, they ran home and wanted to have life on Zoom and mask up the children, send them home if they test positive, shut the whole, send the whole cohort home if one teacher tests positive. I mean, they've just destroyed education and they're, they're scapegoating COVID and they're saying, but it's okay, we're gonna give everybody A's yes. and to keep everybody happy. I mean, this is like the worst 
possible outcome of the uh, situation. I, I think it is. Now, uh, so what the government was saying was 79.1% of entries received grade four or above, which is equivalent to a pass, uh, and 80.9% uh, of pupils uh, received grade four or above in English and 77.9% uh, received grade four or above in maths. Um, well, we'll come on to what's going on in the United States with respect to English and maths in one second. But just before mm -hmm. we do that, uh, one of the things that, that uh, I'm aware of going on in Plymouth schools, of course, uh, I'm sure it's happening right across the country, is that pupils are increasingly encouraged to go into the schools uh, and self-identify as perhaps a different gender. They may want to change their name and so on, and the schools are facilitating this, so the names are changed on the register. Uh, the teachers start calling pupils by uh, their alternative names, uh, although those, don't, those names don't appear on the... Uh, on their final results, for example, if they've done a, a, a qualification, it's on the register. Um, and this is all being done without uh, any communication with the parents. But uh, look, it gets better, Patrick, because Scotland, again, is going to lead the way on this. And they're going to allow pupils uh, aged four or above uh, to change their gender and change their names in this way. Uh, they're going to encourage um, their, this, this type of behavior. Um, and so, uh, well, what can we say about that? Uh, Daily Mail here saying children as young as four will be able to change their gender at school without their parents' consent. Under guidance introduced in Scotland, any pupil who decides they want to switch gender must be supported and listened to in school following Scottish Government advice. It applies to primary schools where the youngest children are only four or five uh, because recognition and development of gender identity can occur at a young age. Um, and But what's... Uh, perhaps disturbing about this. How does it occur at a young age? Uh, does, is, it, is it occurring, Mike, because there are uh, counselors and uh, facilitators and uh, education uh, professionals who are teaching the children uh, well, to, to, about, about gender identification? And primary and secondary schools have also been told to put books featuring transgender people on the curriculum, allowing pupils to choose which changing room or toilets to use and consider introducing a gender neutral uniform. Now, if you know children are being sex sexualized at a, a, an ever younger age, and if you're given the opportunity as a young you know, adolescent male uh, to get into the girls' changing room, are you gonna take that opportunity or not? Some might, and, and the reverse, if for male or female, they get a lot of extra attention and resources in terms of support uh, when they do go through this process and they also get attention from other students as well. This has been remarked on by a number of uh, behavioral professionals about this very phenomenon is that you know when children at a certain age they're really are craving for attention especially if they're not getting it at home mm -hmm. okay and uh, then to make themselves uh, novel or unique then all of a sudden the whole system comes and cotton wools them basically mm -hmm. so th this is arguably according to some professionals one of the things that's driving this quote trend mm -hmm. and what you find is also the children then grow out of it <laughs> very quickly or not so long after that so the danger is if they introduce hormonal re hormonal replacements or pu puberty blockers and things like this then the damage isn't something that you can just easily back out of right because it becomes a physical situation that could last into adulthood and this is led to a number of problems and we've covered this in, in, in previous programs as well yeah so it's it's still a problem um so heading over to the united states then uh well your education system something to be proud of uh, patrick particularly in oregon because uh you know if we've got uh, 70 or 80 percent of people in the uk getting uh, grade four or above a gcse in english and maths 
In Oregon, Governor Kate Brown has decided that uh, really you don't need to be able to read, write or count in order to graduate from school. Uh, and this is really the most egregiously racist uh, policy law that she signed up to because this is all about aiding students of color uh, who otherwise might not be able to get access to the same kind of learning opportunities. They might not uh, uh, get the same support from home or whatever. Um, so it's better to just sort of, uh, we've got to celebrate their differences. And uh, this is, uh, well, I mean, what can we say about this? This is the most hard left governor in the United States here, uh, Kate Brown. She's a total ideologue, a completely radical left winger who's cheering on the burning of Portland, uh, the, the right. biggest city in Oregon, con you know, supporting Antifa loves the fact that they're tearing Portland to pieces and driving out residents. So what is she doing, Mike? She's basically eliminating you know, in, in, in to, to, to protect minorities from the discrimination of high standards in schools. She's actually lowering the bar. So she's saying that minorities or people of color, that they're not smart enough is what she's really saying. That is the total hypocrisy of the liberal uh, and progressive left to a T. This is just, this is just the final culmination of this complete insane way of looking at uh, society and the world. Mm. And they have just over-egged the pudding a little bit too much once again, and the souffle is going to collapse as a result. And so the, the back, there will be a backlash against well, this. And indeed there should be, yeah. absolutely. Uh, okay, let's uh, stay in, in the United States to get kids back in person safely. Schools should monitor what? Well, this is, uh, what God, this is basically a God speaking, the CDC. Uh, in the United States. To, now, notice how they frame this, and you're, you're seeing more of this. To get children back to in-person, uh, safe, safe learning environments. So in, now in-person is a luxury. Mm. It's no longer the norm. It's no longer a requirement. It's something that, it's a luxury that you can only have if you're safe, okay? And then the bottom, look, stop community transmission. Does that happen amongst children with COVID-19? Do kids get COVID? No, they don't. So that doesn't count. So if they don't get COVID and they're not at risk, why do they need a vaccine? We can cross that out below. Testing, so why the hell are you testing all of these kids? And are there any outbreaks? Well, I, not really. So you know, what are we talking about here? Let's look at this. This is the sort of propaganda in full swing. The CDC recommends masks for all K-12 students, even those who have been vaccinated, okay? So again, this brings us back to the original point. The narrative is eating itself. Mm. So what do they need uh, the vaccines for if A, they're not working and they're gonna be masked up, locked up at home on Zoom and so forth. And by the way, look at this graphic. Look what they're doing along that top red bar above the map of the United States. 34.6 million confirmed cases. Since when, last month or since the beginning of 2020? They're keeping a running total forever. Nobody's ever done this in the history of seasonal diseases or any sort of epidemiology in human history for the first time COVID has somehow given itself such special status that they're going to keep a running taxi meter forever in infinity uh, basically so that you'll be hammered with these big numbers years and years down the line that alone should discredit all of the propaganda that we're seeing from government they've broken the rules of record keeping in order to scare the bejesus out of you yes. basically so let's look at this and one of the worst offenders here these are the people pushing masks on kids these this is the organization that has demanded that children be muzzled 
the American Academy of Pediatrics. Look at their Twitter feed. We'll bring in the bird here. Give us a little shimmy. Thank you, Twitter bird. Look what they're saying. This is ridiculous. Babies and young children study faces. So you may worry that having masked caregivers would harm children's language development. There are no studies to support this concern. Young children will use other clues like gestures and tone of voice. So in other words, they're saying being around adults wearing masks doesn't delay baby speech or language development. I mean, who are they? Of course there's no studies. Well, Why would anyone do such a ridiculous study? Because the answer is obvious. You, you can't mask up the population, expect that children are going to be able to learn to communicate from infancy. Right. So this is the American Academy of Pediatrics basically uh, running, uh, they have a totally unjustifiable position there because they're advocating masks from young children right through uh, primary school. So they're, they're doubling down on their narrative uh, in order to basically uh, uh, gaslight the population uh, from their unjustifiable position. I mean, this is a illegitimate organization if they're supposedly advocating for children. I mean, people should really look at who are these mad uh, uh, people in these organizations. Yes, there are no, no studies to support this concern. Okay, uh, that's because there are no studies being done. But where are the studies that show that it, that it has no effect? Correct. So, so they're talking one-sided here. Yes. So, and, and people are always using this same gaslighting technique in order to shut debates down. There's no studies to support that. And you, you can easily say to them, as you just said, Mike, yeah. there's no studies to support your position either. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on to green issues. And uh, well, the Telegraph, uh, we haven't really covered this yet, but this actually has been going on for a little while. So here's a headline uh, from July, Telegraph prices under pressure from carbon dioxide crisis. This isn't what you might think. Uh, this is because there is actually a supply chain problem with carbon dioxide and the food industry uh, can't get hold of it. Uh, and so uh, chicken prices under pressure is generating inflation. Here's another one. Barbecue squeezes CO2 shortages hit meat supplies. Uh, here's another one. CO2 shortage could happen again. Uh, and another one from Gas World. UK CO2 shortage shows signs of easing within weeks. Well, perhaps. But look, this has been going on. Uh, for quite some time, poultry sector warns of new CO2 crisis with supplies on knife edge. This has actually been going on for a, a number of years now. It's not specifically, a couple of years now, it's not specifically COVID-19 related as some of these supply chain issues that we're seeing uh, are being blamed on the COVID crisis and, and the lack of uh, HGV drivers and so on. But actually, this is more linked towards the, the fact that uh, CO2 sequestration is something that is being actively looked at and, and CO2 is not, the availability is increasingly not there. This has an issue. This is an issue for food storage because it's used to generate dry ice, for example. It's used for food storage. It's used for uh, uh, packaging, special types of packaging and so on. Beverages as well. Beverages, carbonated, course, but, but carbonated. carbonated beverages. I mean, people say that those, I mean, that wouldn't be much of a loss for, Guin for people. Guinness but, as well, I think. Guinness uses CO2, I'm not sure. Uh, or, I, don't, I don't know whether yeah. they actually use that in the manufacturing process for, the for beer. Process. But, but nonetheless, um, the point here is that th this has an implication for, for food supplies. Uh, and uh, uh, so I'm just throwing it out there as something for people to keep an eye on. Uh, but another thing for people to keep an eye on is the issue of wildfires. Of course, this has very much been in the news the last number of weeks. Uh, this is the World Economic Forum's page on this. World, wildfires around the world in pictures. 
And if you go to this, you'll see all kinds of pictures of wildfires uh, right around the world. This is being driven, uh, is being pushed very hard at the moment as we run into COP26, of course, because it's all about global warming. These uh, wildfires are being created as a result of, uh, of global warming, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Are they? Uh, well, that's what we're told. Uh, well, well, are we though? Uh, because here's uh, one example, three uh, arrested for suspected arson uh, over the wildfires in Greece. Huh. Uh, here's another one. Uh, well, actually, this is CNN attempting to debunk that, uh, that last, last headline. Uh, while, why wildfires happen, debunking the myth that arson is to blame uh, more than climate change. <laughs> okay. Well, we've just seen uh, three arrests in Greece over wildfires. Um, and uh, that's not climate change related. That's people setting fire to, well, actually it could be climate change related. Let's keep going here. Arson loving PKK prime su suspect as forest fires hit Turkey. Oh, interesting. Uh, then what have we got? Uh, Algeria wildfires, 22 arrested for arson amid disaster. And in California last year, we had the same thing, didn't we? Uh, with all the raging forest fires. So so what's what's going on here, Mike? Is Is climate change uh, affecting the minds of arsonists? What do you think? Uh, well, uh, the question is, who are these arsonists? Are they climate campaigners? That's one question, because it wouldn't be beyond uh, climate campaigners to take that kind of action to try to drive a particular narrative. Extinction Rebellion, radicalized type people who believe that the world is coming to an end. Uh, as Alexander Ocasio-Cortez says, by 2030, we're all going to die. So, of course, you if you were a radical XR uh, extinction rebellion type activists, you might consider that you need to do something to you know, raise the alarm to get people to act, right? But it's not just them. Uh, in Italy, uh, the, uh, the Italian government, uh, the Green Transition Minister, Roberto uh, Cigliani, uh, I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly, he has said that 70% of Italian wildfires uh, are as a result of arson. Uh, but then Claudio Fava, who's uh, from Sicily and he's uh, head us up the anti-mafia committee in Sicily, um, has said that in fact the mafia is involved in this as well because they are clearing land in order to install solar panels and take advantage of the special green deals that are going uh, for owning for for having solar panels on land. So it's like the uh, the the, the uh, dodgy green. A heating deal that was done in Northern Ireland, which resulted in the collapse of the Northern Ireland executive, where effectively people were being paid to heat empty sheds. Um, this is the same kind of thing. We've got green policies being put in place in order to provide um, grants to people for having solar panels on land. And what they seem to be saying in Italy is that uh, criminal elements are clearing the land using wildfire, wildfires in order to install uh, solar panels and take advantage of these grants. It's uh, it's a spectacular business model. What, what you'll find, Mike, this is absolutely correct, by the way, and the mafia is involved in this type of activity. And you'll find this is also a problem in, guess where? The Amazon rainforest. Mm -hmm. And there are organized crime syndicates that are clearing the way for, guess what? Soya farming. And guess where, for the, for the Colombian drug cartels, guess what one of the most popular uh, cash investments is? Where to sink your money after you've made it from the global drugs uh, trade. Well, soya, soya plantations right. in Brazil. Okay, so you're seeing the, 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 the link here, the connection. And so the mafia, that mafia and the mafia in Sicily and Italy and whatnot, they're only really uh, emulating what the corporate mafia is doing. We have different stratas of mafia in this world, okay? <laughs> yes. And some are legal and some are, quote, illegal, okay? So they're both doing exactly the same thing. I think this is a beautifully 
put example to illustrate the, the true state of and, and fraud of the uh, the sort of the new green uh, great reset type economy. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, NATO getting very excited about uh, the upcoming Zapad Twenty One. Uh, exercises, the Russian exercises, because of course it's involving Belarus, uh, and Belarus is the well. This is the government to hate uh, at the moment, isn't it? Uh, so here's the Russian, uh, uh, a Russian website. Uh, preparations for Zap Zapad Twenty One strategic drills kick off. It's taking place in a few weeks in September, um, but uh, we're just seeing well, well, we're seeing huge amounts of uh, anti-Russian narratives appearing in the press. This is Ukrainian press. Russia is ready to deploy nuclear weapons in occupied Crimea. Uh, so we've got Zappa 21 going on. We've got nuclear weapons being uh, installed in Crimea. Uh, Russian uh, military exercises gazed towards Poland. We've got to be scared uh, of this. And this is the uh, Washington Examiner. Um, and uh, Biden's sleeping there, by the way. He's taking a little nap. Yes. Uh, and uh, we've got, of course, the Atlantic Council coming out. Concerns might over Russia Belarus military exercises. Uh, Jens Stoltenberg, well, we've got a tweet from him, uh, discussed with President uh, Nuseta the migratory pressure and hybrid activities from Belarus on Lithuania's borders. NATO is closely monitoring the situation and considering how we can further assist our ally and maintain safety and security in the region. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and uh, well, I kept the best for last, Patrick, because you can tell us who the Gemstone Foundation is. Oh, my goodness. So this is a complete CIA front, this, this think tank. And so their main goal is to basically stir up tension uh, with Russia and to sort of, uh, you know, activate uh, various, um, let's say, jihadist forces in places like Dagestan and the Uyghurs uh, there in western China. So that's the sort of stuff, the uh, cloak and dagger activity that the Jamestown Foundation uh, gets up to. So yeah, it's all about China, the Russians, yes. and so forth. That's So when you see this coming out in the right-wing media, especially in the US, for any anybody from Jamestown, their main focus and their main objective is to, to get as close to war as possible. Right. So their headline here is, as Russian military prepares for Zapad 2021, heavy armed forces stay close to Ukraine because uh, Ukraine is of course uh, at major risk um, from uh, from Russia uh, continuing. I know because guess what? They share a border. Yes. So you know, there's no way that the Ukrainians are going to be able to uh, escape being a neighbor of Russia. So so it's the job of NATO to keep stoking tension. Yes. That'll help the relationship, won't it? Well, indeed. Now on Wednesday's program, we highlighted this new website that the British uh, Foreign Office is funding and uh, is pushing extremely hard. Uh, this is democracy. Uh, because they tell us what democracy is. It's not just a system of government. Uh, it's the me mechanism that enables all citizens to express themselves without fear. It means that the rights of women and minorities are protected. It allows the press to challenge those in power uh, and shine a light where it's needed most. It gives citizens the right to religious expression and supports the existence of independent judiciary. Uh, this campaign and its partners seek to highlight and defend these shared values which underpin democratic societies. This is what we're exporting to all kinds of places around the world. And if they're really sensible, they'll tell the UK government to take a hike. But anyway, uh, we highlighted this on Wednesday. So if you want to see more detail on this, uh, have a look at Wednesday's program. But I just wanted to highlight this uh, because the White House in the United States, Patrick, is running a summit for democracy. Oh, uh, this is it's so inspirational. 
They are reinvigorating democracy at home, apparently. Oh. Oh. Uh, they're going to rebuild our alliances with our democratic allies and partners, because, of course, they need to do that after Trump. Um, and uh, uh, Biden will be convening a leaders summit for democracy. It's going to take place in, virtually in December. Uh, heads of state, representatives of civil society, private sector, and philanthropists. Who could that be? Philanthropists. I can't imagine who might be uh, Gates. No, in Soros. Yeah. yeah, well, he's mostly retired now, isn't he? But, but anyway, uh, but what are they going to do? Well, they're going to discuss the global financial crisis. Uh, they're going to discuss all kinds of things uh, like uh, galvanizing commitments and initiatives across three principal themes, defending against authoritarianism, fighting corruption, and promoting respect for human rights. Uh, so really, that should make us all feel, uh, feel positive about democracy, and uh, we're looking forward to that event. Ticks all the boxes, doesn't it, Mike? It certainly does. So speaking of the economy, uh, yeah, the economy that the government itself absolutely destroyed. And by the way, uh, we didn't include this in the news today. New inflation figures out of the United States, 5.4%. Yes. Goodness gracious. They just said a couple of months ago that there was no inflation. So, hmm, I guess if you print up uh, trillions and trillions of dollars out of thin air to pay for uh, boondoggle projects and give free cash away for COVID relief, that it's not going to have any effect on inflation. I mean, who would think of such a conspiracy theory? It is just a conspiracy theory. Don't worry, yeah. Patrick. Don't worry. The Federal Reserve and the Bank of England have both reassured us that this uptick in inflation is only a short-term thing. It's going to go away again by the end of the year. So don't worry about it. It'll, it'll go down again, right? Yes. Yeah, things will get by suddenly, suddenly cheaper. Sure. Yes. Sure, okay. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. Uh, did you have something? Uh, just lastly, I would just want to say thank you to everybody, uh, all the emails, uh, the messages on social media, the cards uh, that we're getting as well, and uh, thank for the work that we've done. And uh, we're, we say thank you very much for your viewership, uh, for your audience this year. It's been a really uh, difficult year. It's been a very challenging year for uh, a lot of people. And so, and also to everybody who picked up an old normal T-shirt, the old normal army is out and been deployed. Uh, so and they're, they're they're all gone. You'll see them; they're all gone. But you can get the uh, T-shirts if there's none left at the UK Column Community Shop. Go to 21stCenturyWire.com. We've we put some old normal uh, T-shirts up there, and if you get them this weekend, we can get them to you within seven days. So we do have some stock at 21stCenturyWire.com. Go there, get your old normal T-shirt. If there's none left, you're sold out, aren't you? Yeah, we're absolutely sold out. Yeah, yeah. So, but you can get them at 21 Wire. So, um, thank, okay, thank you, thank you, Patrick. And uh, just a quick reminder: this is the last uh, UK column news before the summer break. We will be back on Wednesday, the first of September. Massive thank you from everybody at the UK column, and we hope to see you then. Bye bye.